when we hurt, it's because things are causing us to feel that way. And when we feel joy, it's because, you know, things are causing us to feel that way. But one thing that we have, the power, is how we respond in each and every single moment, how we talk to ourselves. Do we take on the things that people are saying or what's happening and, and, and demean ourselves and beat ourselves down further? Or do we, do we look at it and just think life is a very interesting, colourful, textured experience? And from this point onwards, I'm going to move in this direction, which feels good to me. And that's just what I do every day, most interactions, and and that shows up a lot in my work. Welcome back to another season of Third Culture Africans. I'm proud to say Africa's number one award-winning career and entrepreneurship podcast, voted for by you at the African Podcast and Voice Awards. I am Zezu Ariaki Sal, your host. I'm obsessed with all things entrepreneurship, and our show is dedicated to igniting your entrepreneurial journey, sharing resources, and giving you the tools to pursue your dreams fearlessly. We celebrate artistry and stories from those brave enough to create something and succeed, inspiring, motivating, and full of wonder. Discover how those who succeed do it. Your support helps make this show bigger and better. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and join our community with weekly newsletters curated just for you. Let's connect on Instagram and Facebook at Third Culture Africans. Sit back, relax, and let's do this. Hi, Shanine. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Third Culture Africans. Hi. (laughs) I have here, and I always do this, a short bio, which hopefully is a nice introduction to giving you your flowers. You are a creative, a writer, a poet, an artist, teacher, designer at Chic and Discreet, a mother, social media personality, also known as a mumfluencer a mental health advocate, an empowerment coach, and a breastfeeding advocate. Did I get it all? You, I was tapping my heart in gratitude because you were the first person who got it all. And now I don't feel like I have to do it all myself. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. You are the definition of a multi-hyphenate in 2022 I I thought I I thought I got that hat down pat and then once I started doing my research for this episode I was like okay hats off to you girl you you (laughs) you have killed it with it with a T thank you um incredible so I I guess we can start off with you know early years your your father's you know Nigerian your mother's Rwandan, but they grew up, they both grew up in the UK. Um, And you've sort of decided to go down a very creative path, which for our cultures, you know, as Africans, often there's some resistance with parents when that is your choice. How was that for you in the early days where you basically said to your parents, hey, I, I want to go to university and guess what? I'm studying English. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I didn't, never even said that to them. Um, I was one of the first in my family to go to university. Um, and I think, yeah, I think being, you know, having parents who grew up here who are mostly British, they they were just like, Do you know what? <laughs> you're going to follow your path and we just trust that you're going to go your own way. I think since I was really young, I remember being 11 years old and they gave me permission to be on the internet and I was kind of an agony aunt to people. I didn't know who these people were, but they would kind of submit questions and I would write these really beautiful, elaborate answers. And I just, from my earliest memories, all I could remember was writing. So by the time I got to university, they were like, it's just the normal step for you because they could kind of see who Mm -hmm. I was rather than what they wanted me to be. I did have my dad, um, he had gone to university, he was the only other one, Um, but I did have my dad go, be a lawyer, because he's a lawyer, Um, and he's like, it's really good, you know, law is respected in every country, and if you get your degree in the UK, and, you know, he, he really was trying to kind of push that narrative, but equally, he said, you know, at the end of the day, English and law are not very different from the perspective of studying it. So go in and do English and then you can always convert later. So Mm -hmm. he had this vision that I would still go along with his way. But ultimately my family just let me 
let me be me and do what I love. And that was always writing. And they could see that like studying in English literature and studying English language would just be the next natural step for me. I think for most people, and, and this was true for me, it, it takes a while before you start to get confidence in your own words. Um, was there a pivotal moment for you where you felt like someone kind of gave you the pat on the back and said, hey, you can do this? Yeah. Um, and that person was my English A-level teacher. Mm. Um, because prior to that, like I said, in all of my, fa- like all cousins and uncles and aunties, like nobody really went on to university and most of them kind of didn't really even get through college. So for me, I just thought I was going straight into work after school. Um, and that's what that's what I thought I was going to do. But my English teacher at the time he was like Shanine you're brilliant Mm. and teachers would do this to me they would kind of pull me to the side and really highlight my brilliance but I was just I didn't know what they were talking about though so I was like all right so but when I got here I was like what's the next step and he said go to uni and do English and I said okay fine and he Mm. stood behind me to make sure I actually did the application because he kind of knew I was probably not on the best path the friends that I was with the things that I would you know come into class after doing and he he was just like I'm standing here until you've you've signed up and you've done it and he was the person really who 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 changed everything oh that's incredible yeah so to say that you graduated with a first class in English literature and English language from the University of West England can you imagine if you didn't that that experience would be somewhere else yeah um and sometimes it's helpful when someone else believes in us, even before we do. Yeah. Um, you've gone on to write four books. Um, so yeah. yay to English teacher, if he ever comes across this episode, who has given us your gift. And your your first book was Solidarity, and that was poetry, yeah. mostly. And without putting the words in your mouth, your inspiration to creating that was born out of a huge shift in transition as a woman, Mm -hmm. which was becoming a mother. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're best known for your um, candid um, sharing of that journey with humor, by the way. I love some of you. (laughs) I love some of your like real mean things. I don't know what that's called, but they're (laughs) absolutely incredible. Thank Um, you. Yeah, the locking in the bathroom thing. Yeah, that that definitely. (laughs) (laughs) You can relate. Um, You can relate (laughs) for sure. Um, But what was the turning point for you that said, "Hey, I'm going to actually go ahead and publish something"? Um, It was just the realization that I could do things and I could have an impact, and it was social media that led me here. A lot of my journey, I would say, kind of just happened to me. It was other people believing in me or other people, you know, kind of pushing me along. And I was just following the flow of life. Um, But it was starting my breastfeeding clothing brand, She Can Discreet, and realizing how many mums would kind of say, I'm really struggling to breastfeed. I just need clothes like what you design. Can you make them for me? And then building a business off the back of that. And I always wanted to keep in touch with those mums in some sort of capacity, which is what also led me to creating like motherhood content, just so we can like, you know, have a laugh about the things that we're going through because it's not the easiest of journeys. Mm. Um, And then I just felt like there's a lot, there's a lot that Instagram liked in terms of engagement. And there's a lot that I would have to do a lot of work to really get in front of people. And I thought my poetry was, is just a huge part of who I am. It's a huge part of my motherhood journey. If I was feeling stressed, I would turn to poetry. If I was feeling grateful, I would turn to poetry. If I wanted to capture a moment, I would turn to poetry and, and prose as well, like little bits of writing. And then I had it, I had so much and I sent a few to a friend and she said to me, you need to put this in the book. Like this will change lives for mums. Mm. And I just said, okay, fine. Like everything that you'll notice a theme in my life and it's yeah. just someone says something and I'm like, all right then. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, um, and that's that's what happened, really. But but there is a playful and um, whimsical energy to what is, you know, really strong messages in your work. And oftentimes, as mums, you know, the early years of that journey are really burdensome um, because there are aspects of your identity that you now have never had to deal with the ideas of around the things that you've 
you've sort of owned which don't belong to you whether they're societies or you know your mother's or your grandmother's stuff and you were able to connect the dots through your work and finding a way to relate to people is that something you've always done well or is that something time and place it just happened um I think it's something that I have always done well like if if I'm gonna give myself flowers and just acknowledge how far I've come um like I mentioned starting with the agony aunt journey on AOL this was the times of AOL even before MSN dial-up and I was yes exactly (laughs) and I was in these chat rooms and I was listening to people listening to their lives listening to their scenarios and never once did I ever listen to any one scenario and think you're a really shit Mm. person Mm. you don't know anything you like I never I never felt like judging anyone I always just could understand that people do things for a reason people feel things for a reason and I always kind of was able to relate to how I was feeling in the world um I was an older I was an older sibling so I had a lot of kind of responsibility um my family like I said many of them didn't go to uni so my mum worked two jobs and was hardly ever home um and my dad and my mum were separated so we didn't we weren't like a you know your your collective family family, yeah. yeah Um, so there was a lot put on me, but equally there was a lot of racism that I experienced and I didn't realize that it was racism. I didn't, I just thought this is what the world is like. And I was hurt. I was really just hurting a lot of, of my young life. And when people would share their hurts with me, I could relate from a place of understanding what it felt like, even though their scenario was different. So getting through, you know, fast forwarding to motherhood and creating the work that I do now, it is just understanding that when we hurt, it's because things are causing us to feel that way. And when we feel joy, it's because, you know, things are causing us to feel that way. But one thing that we have the power is how we respond in each and every single moment, how we talk to ourselves. Do we take on the things that people are saying or what's happening and and, and demean ourselves and beat ourselves down further? Or do we, do we look at it and just think life is a very interesting, colourful, textured experience? And from this point onwards, I'm going to move in this direction, which feels good to me. And that's just what I do every day, most interactions. And, and that shows up a lot in my work. Mm. You, you said something which I thought was interesting at, at the height of your pain with dealing with some of these social issues like racism and we'll come to that it, it is in my notes um, you were being the agony aunt to other people mm-hmm. was there something and, and I know what a psychologist will say about you know you're hurting so there's some relief in, in being helpful to someone else Um, and acting out what you hoped someone would do for you. Did you find that in any way um, cathartic or therapeutic? Yeah, yeah. Naturally, just hearing what somebody else would have to say and kind of just being their support and saying some words that felt good. I would be feeling good because I'm hearing those words too. So ultimately, I'm, you know, I'm speaking to myself and I'm learning how to be kind in 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 emotion I'm learning how to look at these things um until this very day I still just I feel like I draw people to me and we will have deep and meaningful conversations and you know we may not be the closest of friends and see each other every week but just being able to have like a few really deep conversations creates such bonds and I feel like I I I I, I do that. I've done that from young and I had these bonds with these strangers. And yes. it's funny because I'm, you know, I'm now this on Instagram and it's happening sort of again. Um, but now it feels a lot more personal because, you know, I'm an adult, I'm doing it in various forms. I'm hearing, I'm, you know, I accept as well when I've had enough and I'm switching off from the world. Um, and, you know, so I, I know myself very well when I'm like, okay, I, I don't want to hear any, any anybody else's anything. But yeah, it's just something that I've done. I've always I've always done, I've always enjoyed and I've always found it helpful for myself. There's a vulnerability to where you've sort of always approached your work and within our culture um, as Africans and and also as women, um, there's always this shame always arrives um, in the picture. And, And I wonder, and especially living out, you know, your family life on on the internet and on social media 
oftentimes people speak about the positives um, and sometimes not not enough of, of, of the negatives. And, and you started off with, you know, the first instance being you 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 in, encountering racism while you were young. How have you dealt with people's perceptions of you as you're as you have evolved and are evolving through everybody else's screen? Mm. Yeah. So let's just say not very well. Um, I have seriously struggled um but a lot of it has just you know without the information coming down to you and the knowledge coming down to you to say that this is someone who's struggling this is not right you shouldn't feel these way this way or think these things you don't know that it's not normal you just think that well this is just what life is like and it was only after becoming a mum really that I realized that my self-perception wasn't wasn't always the best. It wasn't something that that stopped me in life. I just was like, well, I'm blick, I'm ugly, I'm lanky, I'm skinny, I look anorexic. And these were all things that other people had said to me and I had accepted as if they were and there's nothing I can do about them. So I'm just gonna carry on and be happy with my, like not with myself, but just be happy. And, you know, I, I, I carried that, I really carried that. And I thought that that's what everybody thought of me. And I thought that that's what everybody was always thinking, but there's nothing I can do. So I'm gonna carry on in the world. And after having my first door, I had some therapy um, because previously I'd had insomnia and depression, which you know my mum was able to catch. I didn't catch it myself. Cause again, I just thought this is just life. Um, but my mum was able to kind of be like, babe, you look like you're struggling, let's go and take you to the doctors and see what they think. Um, and so I, I had um, therapy and I learned so much just from that initial session. And I, I, was I was embarrassed by going to therapy because, you know, when I went, it was, oh no, people who go crazy, you know, black people don't need therapy, they need chicken. Like I just heard yeah. the dumbest things, <laughs> like literally. And I just would be like, oh no, I shouldn't be going. So I'd be sneaking off there, but I was learning so much. I was gaining so much. And that led me on a journey to looking at like self-help books and self-development and watching, inspiring people on YouTube and practicing gratitude. And through my journey of just seeking out ways to think about life, think about myself, think about other people, I was able to realize that I was holding on to a lot of negative negativity around my my self-perception as a result of bullying, basically, and racism and, and all of that from my past. Now, when I look at myself, if I ever look in the mirror and I'm saying something like, oh, you should do your eyebrows or oh, you need to moisturize your face, I will immediately kind of snap out and be like, this is, you're beautiful. Like, wow. Like, mm. wow. And it's come to a point where like someone will be complimenting someone else. And I've, I've sometimes thought they were talking about me because now, <laughs> now the filter that I see life is that people look at me and they see beauty because that's, that's what's happening. I also think that the shift, the collective shift from, you know, being black and being African as something so horrible to being black and being, you know, as, as melanated as I am to be so beautiful there has been a shift Gosh, girl. and huge yes, shift I, I was been... I, I was about to go melanin magic like yes we went from an era where if you were dark-skinned mm -hmm. um like you and you've got a beautiful complexion um and I've got a dark-skinned daughter and actually I wanted a dark-skinned daughter I love that um, actually what that's what I wanted I was like fingers crossed God please just yeah I don't want a light skin baby just give me a dark-skinned baby <laughs> give me a dark-skinned baby yes. um and and purely because you know it's it's what we believe about the, the color of our skin right that there's a huge yeah. you know in in my mind dark skin is beautiful and it's it's just there's something just so alluring about it um and growing up especially in the UK and I think we often don't speak about the impact of being in a western society yeah and how early on you as a child get faced with another child labeling your differences negatively um and and I know that's something I've had to deal with and my and my daughter's only four and it's something I've dealt with since she started nursery at two and a half years old 
And it, that is really early. Like if I think of my childhood in Africa, we all were black. Yeah. We all yeah. were African. Yeah. There were exactly. some white children that we, we saw and knew of, but we weren't labeled. Our, our, our features weren't labeled in any way um, and negatively. And growing up in the Western society and being confronted with your not just your race, but now all of a sudden someone's labeling your features and categorizing them. It does something early on that it doesn't matter then, less so now. And, and, and we, were, we were speaking about it um, earlier on before, you know, we came and I hit record. But less so now, but thinking of sort of the 80s, the 90s and being a black kid from that generation in the UK, you know, we have seen us go from undesirable to desirable. And all of a sudden now everyone wants to eat jollof rice and listen uh. to Afro beats. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> sometimes I think I'm in the twilight zone. Like I'd walk into a room um, and, and even just the interest in culture, in dress in colors in all of the things that growing up we felt conscious of and felt that we needed to hide because there's this need to fit in right in the beginning you kind of want to fit in and that transition is happening has happened but for those of us who began the journey on the slightly less exciting end of the stick there is that narrative in your head that you then have to start considering and i and i wonder if we don't speak about it enough because it's something we don't want to address but we're living versions of it through our own children and and there's something re-traumatizing about that experience but at the same time what does that do for you in your psyche knowing that now the things that were once ridiculed are now seen as being beautiful yeah well well I've got so many answers right now <laughs> where do I start um let's just get get right to mm. the the last question for for me I just see it as further confirmation that everyone that society that the mass they don't they they don't have any authority over anything because one minute it's this and then it's this but then it's that again and then it's this but then it's this with this and then it's that and then this is okay but now that's not and it's just like well you guys can fluctuate and be fickle as much as you like but I'm gonna stay grounded now in the knowledge that I I I have because of the work that I've I've done to undo all of this nonsense that you taught me so that's that's where I personally am at but I think on a on the grand scheme of things, like you were saying that you've had to work with your daughter because since she started nursery, she's been labeled or she's been, um, you know, just, you know, kind of bringing up some of these things that that you're aware that you're, you're really young to be experiencing this, especially since your own early years were in Africa and it wasn't the same sort of thing. Very different. And, yeah. And I had something similar with my daughter when she was four. And I actually shared this on online. And I, I you know, I, I've got the brand in particular that was responsible um, to hire more black people and black dancers on the stage and stuff. But, you know, I had a, a period where my daughter said, oh, you know, we went to a show and it was supposed to be really diverse with, you know, everyone represented just like their dolls are. But it wasn't. Everyone on the stage was either white or light-skinned mixed race with dyed hair so everybody looked white to my daughter and after seeing that she loved it they're dancing so good they're this they're that but you know what I don't want to be black anymore because I want to be like them so I can be a dancer mm. and that's what she said to me and yeah. I was like yo breaks your heart okay yeah mm. like if if she never said anything I probably would have let that that go as this is just where we live and this what this is what still happens but because I could see she was impacted and when she said it, it was such a, it seemed like such a throwaway statement that I was like, I can't let this be thrown away because if I let this go, she's just going to think it's normal to not want to be black. She's going to think it's normal to, to see, you know, uh, a cast of 
white people being dancers and that's that's what it takes and the the irony is the dances that they were doing was hip-hop was street dance it was dances that are usually typically associated with black people but there were no black people on the stage and so I went back to the brand and I said this is this is unacceptable this is what's happened and they they couldn't apologize enough and they'd expressed that they didn't have anyone who was black or of any ethnic background making any decisions and i said well you know they they've they've now employed people um but that that really made that's where i began to address issues around my identity and my own upbringing and my own childhood and the narrative that i was fed and the things that i thought about myself it brought up so much for me and you know, we, I've, I've been conscious of it ever since. And I'm very conscious of having images of black women, black families around my home on the TV, even if we're like not really watching anything and we're playing, we'll have uh, maybe like Bino and Fino in the background mm. or we'll have like Karma or we'll have, you know, we have, I just want the, the girls to see you can be black and you can be on, on, on the stage dancing. You can be black and you can be doing whatever you want because <laughs> You are you. Your value is in who you are, and not in the stories that you're told. Yeah. You've taken that theme into other facets of your your life, and I'm jumping about a bit here because um, you touched on um, you know taking taking the brand to task, breastfeeding. Yes. I have seen oh, you in yeah. adverts, yes. on billboards, <laughs> on the tube. Yeah. Um, yeah. With your tits out, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I personally breastfed till my daughter was three. That's um, yeah, same as me. And she was just a little bit over three. Um, but you know, I, I went, I went as long as that. And I remember before I became a mother, someone telling me they breastfed their child till they were eighteen months, and I thought, my God, why would you do that for so long? They have teeth, and yeah. I, I had many, yeah. many opinions. Yeah. And then I became a mother, and then I also started to read up about breastfeeding, and I had a child who wasn't really interested in anyone else but me and my boobs. And what became glaringly obvious, <clears throat> and the first time I came around, I, I came across your profile was around that time, was when I started, because my first is is four, so just a few months younger than yours, I believe. And when I started that journey, one thing was obvious to me. There aren't many Black women who are openly talking about breastfeeding. And then I thought... How can this be and why? And so I went on to Google because I love data and stats. And one of the sh most shocking things was that we have the lowest initiation rate. Um, you know, at three months, we are, we breastfeed, I think it's 58% less. Um, and that number increases at six months and just keeps rising. And there was something in those numbers that made me sad because as a breastfeeding mother, I know that that is a privilege. The time it takes, you have your job. Like if I was working a typical nine to five job and I only got however many months maternity, um, and then you start to look at the economic stats of, you know, the average African black or black mother in general. And then you start to think of economically, what is our role in our families, in our homes? How quickly do we need to bounce back to then start generating an income? What is our support structure? What is the economic status of each person, like the family? And then you realize that without being um, political, this is yet again something else that from the jump, we are, at a, we are at a disadvantage. And something about that made me very sad. And I wonder if for you in, in choosing to advocate and share so openly you know, your breastfeeding journey, tandem feeding, then having two kids. What was that moment for you that you decided that this is something I'm going to 
not just speak about, but this is a mantle I'm going to carry. Yeah. You know, and this is why I really love the work that I get to do. I am truly so grateful. Like um, a lot of what I go into never really comes from a place of, I have to do this. I have to be the one, but it's always a place of, I love what I'm doing so much that I'm just, I can't help it. It just pushes itself out. (laughs) If that makes sense. It's just like the very first tandem feed. I took that photo with my toe and I was holding both my girls. They were both on my boobs and I was looking down at them and I was ecstatic. It was literally like I had just been pumped with ecstasy or probably oxytocin you know but it because that's what that's what um that's a hormone that's boosted when you are breastfeeding when you have your babies that's a hormone of love yes and I was it was a double dose and then some and I really really loved that and the image is definitely not like one now I'd look at it and think oh if I could have styled that if I knew you know if I it would have been different but it was so real so raw and so full of joy that smile was part of a a a good few minutes of laughing out loud and then I shared that and lots of people were like what wow we've never seen anything like this um a lot lot of my family wasn't sure what the heck I was doing they were like why are you exposing yourself yes exactly like don't you feel like this is too much don't you feel and I was just like no I don't I just I'm happy that I was so happy and I want other people to be happy and I want them to be supported and to know that there's this way as well especially because people like you guys are saying it's too much that's probably why most women who are doing this are not sharing their journeys and they have reasons why they don't want to share it but I'm I since I became vulnerable sharing my mental health journey I now have no issue sharing anything I felt like if I had anything to hide it would have been the fact that I just didn't feel okay some of the time and I'm not hiding that so there's nothing to hide and I don't think it's over the top. I don't think it's too much. I don't think it's sexualizing breastfeeding. I don't think, I don't even think of breastfeeding as that. So I was just sharing and it really gained so much momentum. And the the rate at which women would come to me and say, I was going to stop at six weeks because everybody said I should introduce the bottle. But mm. because of your journey, because of your pictures, because of your videos, I'm still going, I'm going to keep going. That was just more fuel to the fire. That was like more pumping of oxytocin that's like more this is great like it's doing good for me for my babies for other mums for their babies for their families and so I just kept going with it and now I've finished breastfeeding um I stopped breastfeeding ocean a few months ago I still you know I don't I don't share it half as much but I still will if it's like a breastfeeding day breastfeeding week or if I've been having a few conversations I'll probably still post content around it and reach out to mums and encourage them because it it is growing there are more black mums who are sharing that journey and I absolutely love that um but it's something that you know I I want to be a part of because until until it is normalized until people stop telling us that it's too much or they're too old or that we should stop until that happens then there's no reason for me to stop Mm. and 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 there's something about your candidness that seems to create this level of friendship and it it makes you it makes you seem fearless and I love that (laughs) and 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 I wonder though in 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 that journey you know you would openly share you know your stretch marks and, and scars now we see it in other cultures where women are given permission to share those things but somehow within our community there is there's comment to that and 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 the beauty and the art then gets lost and then it it becomes oh but hold on you know and 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 I ask that because I wonder if for you when confronted with those instances what that makes you feel like because you're not posting anything that is different to any and and I don't I don't and I don't mean different in the sense that it's not unique but different in terms of sharing openly your journey why that and you have some incredibly beautiful images you know one of my questions is who takes your pictures (laughs) (laughs) 
well because it's art right there's something in your in your journey that is beautifully captured and it's not something we see often and if we look through time and history especially for africans in african culture your style or expression through your art whether that's imagery or poetry is something that is cultural that exists but somehow is lost and then in the western context has a slightly different lens how does that feel for you within yourself when when you decide to share all bear all mm. in in the way that you do it just feels like a calling it feels truly just like this is what i'm meant to do this is what my purpose is and i think that became solidified when it kind of also merged with my career when I began to be able to make a career out of it and I realized that this is what they meant by you can do what you love and make money from it and help people and inspire people and feel good about it because you know I meet people and it's particularly mums who are not ready to go back to work Mm. but I meet people who are in work and in jobs that do not suit their lifestyles it does not suit their mental health it doesn't suit what they want for themselves it doesn't suit their vision it doesn't suit their family but they feel stuck in it and for me I just feel a massive sense of gratitude every time whenever I've ever been faced with someone saying um oh you know you're you're overexposing or you're doing this I just would put it down to, and I think breastfeeding helped me a lot with this because when I realized nobody knew what they were talking about when they talked to me about breastfeeding and I knew because I had done the research and I was currently breastfeeding, I could also put it down to nobody knows what they're talking about when they have judgments Mm. and when they have things to say that doesn't support me. And so moving in the direction of just continuing to do what I felt like I was called to do, what I feel like I'm still called to do, it just always feels like something to be so very grateful for. And with as with everything in my life, I always try to move into the direction of gratitude and thankfulness. And that's what I do. Every image that's, you know, every beautiful image, every beautiful poem, it really is just a, a message from my soul out, rippling out to just everywhere, saying thank you for this experience of being a human being. Thank you for this experience of being able to own my humanness. Thank you for this experience of being able to connect with other human beings in the way that, like you said earlier, is kind of like a friend. It's Mm. kind of like a friendship. And I feel like I'm so lucky because, you know, for me, being on being a content creator and being on social media is not a numbers game because I feel like if there was so many people, how would I have this connection with them? But I've also been shown that even just through a video, so many people deeply feel like they can connect with me and my story. And that's because of the way that I share it. And again, it just truly is because I'm I'm grateful that I'm living this experience. And I know that so many people are in places or in, in situations in life where they don't want to be. I never want to come across as I'm like boasting, I'm so this, I'm so that. I always want to come across as life is life is full of everything, no matter where you are and what you're going through. But we can always connect with one another and feel uplifted even just for one minute, even just for a minute or 30 seconds, however long a video can take. Mm. You can feel connected to someone. And in that moment, just the shift in your perspective can change your entire day, can change your week, your your life ultimately. And that is the purpose behind everything that I create. You've done it incredibly well. You know, you've been featured everywhere, um, down to Vogue, Vogue Italia. That moment, probably when you're like, yeah, look at this, Vogue Italia and Vogue want my boobs out. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Um, and those those features um, for you and the recognition you've had for your work, you know, you've spoken, you've spoken about how, that is a form of validation and now being able to make a living from it. Do you consider yourself an artist? Yeah, I think I do. Um, I don't have one art form that I, I'd say my, my main art form 
it, I can't, I can't say my main one. It flickers, it changes all the time. Um, I would like to say poetry and writing because that's where I spend a lot of my time. You know, my captions are very long. I've been told this by my mum, by my agents, by my friends. Sheen, you're writing essays all the time. And I'm like, mm. great. One day I'll take them all back and put it into a book. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'd say writing definitely is my main form of art, but self-expression can come in any way. And I think that the healthiest way for me to exist and to show up in the world is by expressing myself through how I feel like in that moment is the best way. So you might catch me flinging my arms in the air, spinning around like a ballerina, or you might catch me with my head like so into my journal and I just won't stop writing, my hands are aching. Mm. Or you might catch me painting on the balcony with my children and all these other other friends and children that come over because I feel like I have such a bond with children as well and they are so creative I'm inspired by them all the time is there a part of you that has had to deal with the prescriptive here's what you should be doing versus what you've chosen to do yeah um yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and that that's a that is something I find myself going up and down in waves. So I'll go through a nice, nice long period of being like, I'm just flowing. I'm just free. I'm, this is great. Everything's working out. And then it's like, well, maybe now you should focus on being more organized or something because somebody had said, oh, well, that wasn't very structured or, and then I would take that and then it would sit with me. And then I'd be like, oh, maybe I should be more structured. And usually it's it's when somebody else comes comes along and offers some advice, usually well-meaning, but for, for who I am and the way that I work best, it doesn't work for me. Um, but yeah, it, there's a lot of times where I'll sit there and be like, I should be doing this, but instead I feel like doing this. And when I go towards the should be, oh my goodness, it's a downward spiral from there. The longer I stay in that, you should be like this. I will be try. I will, sh- I will try shoulding. Will- <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? I will be trying yeah. to do the should yeah. and I will be failing miserably and I will be so miserable as a result until I bring myself, until I get to a point of like, I quit, not, mm. I'm not shooting anymore. And then I go back into flow and everything picks up again. So I've noticed it, it does happen to me. But ultimately I know for myself, I should never do anything anybody else tells me and I should always go with how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> what's, yeah. what's the biggest expectation you've had to deal with in, in, in your career now? Um, I'd say the biggest um, would be finding balance between my career and motherhood. And Mm -hmm. that is the whole idea of you should be taking your children to school or you should be picking them up or you should be taking them to the doctors or you should be doing their hair or you, instead of, okay, you know, your children are important to you Mm. and the maintenance of them and their lives and you and your life are important to you, but so is your career. If you can have help, that is great. Well done. It's instead of, it being well done you've found help or you've been able to outsource things so you can do both mm. it has been a lot of you should be the one doing it you should be the one who's there you and so that's been a real real battle because again I, I personally don't necessarily believe it but it is something that comes up to, to mums all the time mm. not me personally but it is something you know, I know you it's know, a real battle work-life balance exactly yeah and just trying to find that that has been my biggest um my biggest battle really there's there's often the conversation um around being an independent strong woman right mm-hmm. um and and behind that statement is is probably a woman who is crying out for help um oftentimes because you know motherhood isn't designed for one person not at all um and historically never has been um What's a common myth about your work that you wish everyone would just stop? (laughs) (laughs) One common myth that I absolutely detest is, oh, all you do is just take pictures and post them. (laughs) Yeah. That is what people say. Like people who look at what I do and maybe are a bit annoyed that it seems so easy Mm. have said, you know, what, like, how can you say, you know, this is hard. All you do is take pictures. And I'm like, it's that like that's what you think goes into it, but there is so much more to it. There's so much more that goes into being a content creator, and it is pretty new. Um, I don't think it's so new, to be fair, but I do th- feel like it. Like 
the medium the medium is yes exactly i I think people have been content creators for for a very long time through through different mediums um and those and those who are good at it um for anyone listening are good at it because they work really hard at it it's it's not that easy to do um leading on to my next question would be how would you define success Oh, I love this question so much. Um, I, I, I would define success as a unique experience for every individual. And success to me is if I can maintain a life where I'm able to flow through my motherhood and know that I'm being a good mom and I'm holding space and I'm being open, I'm being honest, I'm showing up as myself, I'm, treat, I'm teaching my girls how to love themselves. And at the same time, be able to maintain my community, continue to create freely mm. and to have a good relationship with my husband. For me, that is that is success. And I feel like everything else that comes with it, for example, traveling, for example, money, for example, uh, clothes, for example, all, you know, the, the mm. kind of more materialistic things that people usually say when defining success, that comes with it because... I feel successful in who I am. I feel like success is a feeling that you you have. And it's, it's, like I said, it's an experience. Um, and that's how I would uh, describe it or explain it for me. Favorite thing about yourself? My vulnerability. I love it so much. I have tried to, um, I've kind of pushed it down and I've just been like, oh, well, not everybody's vulnerable. Maybe I shouldn't, you know, that whole thing. But I actually really love it. I have no problem sharing my truth, no problem sharing. And that's that's one of my favorite things. Thank you. Um, you shared a few turning points for you, um, motherhood being one, um, and, and, and spoke about insomnia and, and your journey with that and, and mental health. What keeps you up at night now? <laughs> nothing <laughs> that that nothing at this point I'm sleeping really really good that's um, so freeing isn't it yeah it really really is what what got you to that point I believe it's my vulnerability and sharing with people around me how I feel what I feel like I'm capable of telling them very openly these are my weaknesses if you expect these things of me I probably will fail don't be mad um, instead let's work together to make sure that these things can be met and done and everyone just kind of coming together and making it happen for me and with me. Um, and that's why I really am big into vulnerability. And I would always encourage people to be vulnerable and open and speak their truths, because unless you're doing that, nobody truly knows what's going on inside your head and nobody can come to the rescue. They can only come and help you and support you when you open your mouth and say, this is what I need help with. And o- obviously in order to do that, you kind of have to know yourself and what you are struggling with and why. So, mm. yeah. What do you wish you knew? Mm. I wish that I knew. Oh, oh, this is a tricky question. I wish that I knew how to speak Yoruba. There you go. That's not that tricky. That's what I wish. I wish I knew that. Like I said, my parents both basically growing up here, that neither of them spoke hmm. um, their original languages. And my my husband now, he speaks his, um, he speaks Yoruba, but with his family, like, you know, on the phone or when they come over, which isn't often because they all live really far apart. Um, And yeah, so I know that I grew up without that. My daughters, I don't want them to grow up without, without, you know, their mother tongue. Um, So that's one thing that I wish I, 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 I knew. And I could work on. So let's see. Yeah. <laughs> Check in with me in a year and let's see. I, I think there's an app now. Um, what's your favorite thing about what you do? That I can tailor it to my needs and that I can work around my schedule and my children's schedule. Mm. What's the best advice a mentor ever gave you? Um, I'd say this mentor is my dad. And he said, there's a saying that, that, I always repeat, and it's, if it's to be, it's up to me. And that that's uh, something that I, I, I basically live by. If it's to be, it's up to me. And whatever I want, if it's to be, it's going to be up to me. So you've got, I've got to put in the work. Um, and probably the most important question, everyone who follows you and thinks that influencing is easy, wants to know is how do you make it as a 
mumfluencer. Yeah, I'd say again, I'm coming back to vulnerability. I think that's the most important one. Just, you know, you're vulnerable anyway, putting your face on the internet, putting your voice out there in any capacity. I feel like that is you kind of opening yourself up. But when you're talking about your motherhood and your motherhood journey, you're not going to be real if you're only dishing out it's great. Here's some nice looks. Here's what we I made in the snack box. Like that's like that's not going to be content that really deeply resonates. It could be good. It could be. I mean, there are some people who are doing it really well. But for me, I'd say just being open and truly being able to connect, to be able to listen and to respond in an open and compassionate manner, where basically everyone is kind of on the same journey in the same boat, and we we're just supporting each other. I would say as a mumfluencer that that is that is vital and then you can sprinkle on like some you know beautiful and aesthetic tips and snacks and stuff but I think at the core of it is just knowing who you are what you want to share and who you're looking to share that with yeah if you had to give any listener who is listening to this episode who understands or who's who understands some of the fears that come with having this drive to do something creative and is also a parent but fears that their work or even their choices might not be enough what would that advice be um you know I think the answer that I'm going to give is quite a spiritual answer um so it's not not like tangible go and buy this or do this but ultimately it's just that surrender just trusting the process trusting your vision trusting in your creative abilities and trusting that the reason why you even feel what you feel like in the first place that you want to create is there for a reason so it is scary i i cannot tell you how many times i have been shook but i was just like we will see what happens i believe it's going to be good and it always has been um so i would say ultimately knowing you're going to face times when you feel like you cannot move past this point or it, you know if you do do this this is going to happen and this is not a positive but you don't know what's going to come unless you open up and see what comes and if you do that with a positive attitude and a positive mindset and you you take lots of inspired action just trust that there is a force that will make it good for you amazing shanine thank you so much you have been an absolute bullet <laughs> um through this episode um where can everyone find you yeah so i am mostly on instagram at shanine sally um and that's spelled c h a n e e n s a l i e e you can also find me over on my website my blog which is by shanine sally and um and on youtube and tiktok i'm i'm you know i'm just dabbling in all of the platforms because you know like you said there's lots going on with me <laughs> and, and buy some books and yes some and books. buy some books exactly <laughs> you'll love them it will be like a friend on your shelf that you can access anytime <laughs> thank you so much um for joining us on this week's episode of third culture africans i feel as though you have given um so much over the years with your journey and i think um for a positive image of motherhood and being a woman um i i think you've you've given something that the world definitely needed and you've done it graciously and beautiful so thank you for that thank you thank you so much and thank you for having me i've really enjoyed my time thank you thank you to over 20,000 of you that have tuned in and have continued to tune in because of you our show is now distributed on Vodacom Africa's platform My Muse your support helps make this show bigger and better if you're a fan of the show we would love to know please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and join our community with weekly newsletters curated just for you check out our free resources on entrepreneurship productivity finance and leadership at thirdcultureafricans.com you can now catch special episodes with video on youtube at thirdcultureafricans let's connect on instagram and facebook at thirdcultureafricans let's do this